Good morning to all of you, and I greet you this morning in the name of precious name of Jesus Christ. One announcement this morning before we go into the message. Uh, you can turn to Matthew chapter 4 for a message today. But Son Schrock has applied for membership here, so we rejoice in that. And if you have any thoughts in relation to that, please let one of the ministry know. Or better yet, talk with Austin and Son. But Lord's blessing on that. The title of the message this morning is The Way of the Cross Leads Home. Matthew chapter 4. Do you ever face temptation? And in the temptation, in the struggle of life, you think, where am I at? And what is happening to me? I'm not sure where you're at or what's happening, but uh, I can rest in one thing. Here's the answer. That's how you can get home. All of us face enough events in life that cause incredible questions, confusion. How should we respond? How should we live? How should we act? There's the answer. The way of the cross is going to lead home. Matthew chapter 4, starting at verse 1. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted forty days and forty nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him into the holy city, and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple, and said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against the stone. And Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And again the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain, and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world, and the glory of them, and saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then said Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. A few observations. It's hard to summarize temptations. When a temptation comes, there's so many aspects of our lives that are being tempted, that are being affected by that question, by the temptation that is presented to us. But there's a few aspects that I would like to focus on, and they're not all encompassing by any chance. If you notice, twice the temptation was, if thou be. It was a question of identity. If thou be. Satan loves to question people with their identity, because identity speaks of value. Are you really somebody? Are you a child of God? If thou be. Prove your value. One of the greatest struggles, I don't know if you can relate to this or not, in the teenage years it probably starts with us who aren't normal, maybe. But the struggle with the question of prove your significance. Are you somebody who's valuable? Prove it. And this is the world's test. Are you beautiful? Are you skinny? Are you smart? Are you strong? Do you have a man's job? Do you do a man's work? Prove that you're somebody. 
And people put themselves through all kinds of situations, sad situations, to try to prove to the devil's realm that they're significant. (laughs) Do you get tempted about your identity? Prove yourself. You're nobody. Prove that you're somebody. That was the first two temptations. If thou be. The last temptation wasn't if thou be. It was all these things will I give you. If you worship me. Now do you think Satan will give worldly honor to those who don't worship him? That's a question to ponder. Do you think Satan will give worldly honor to someone who's not willing to bow down to his way of action. Now the word worship here, I found interesting, is an action word and it's derived in a, of a descriptive event of a dog licking his master's hand. Like that's, if you would look it up, that's what the word originally pictured. If you worship me, if, if you come and lick my hand, eat out of my hand, like a dog eating out of his master's hand. Eat out of my hand and I'll give you everything. Riches, honor, fame, and you will be significant and have instant results. All of this glory I can give to you. Now there's the temptation. And then, how, how would Jesus face this temptation? He has this offer. Eat out of my hand, I'll give you it all. Or He has this offer. A narrow path with a cross at the end of it. Take up your cross. You know, all of us here are facing temptations many, many times in a day, many, many times in an hour even. And what we fail to realize many times, it's a question of, are you willing to take up your cross? Are you willing to sanctify the Lord God in your walk of life? Or are you content with bitterness and strife in your hearts and anger towards other people? Are you going to take and eat out of the devil's hand and somehow feel like that's going to make me somebody? I was struck by this thought and I read it in one of the books this week. It says many people's goal is not to serve God, but it is in how God can serve them. Is that you? And all of us, all of us think well of ourselves, so we're, we're probably in good shape, right? You, you don't focus on how God can serve you. You're focusing on how you can serve God. Here's a litmus test of that. If someone is faithful in praying to accomplish God's will, most likely they have the right perspective. They're here serving God, not asking God to serve them. If someone is only diligent in praying when they have a desperate need, most likely your conscience effort of serving God is actually you're looking for Him to serve you. You know, as you put this in everyday life, 
I, I have no idea what your prayer life looks like. I, I have no clue. Um, but if you're just fervent in prayer, when you have a desperate need, you actually live your life for God serving you, not you serving God. I would clarify it this way. If a terrorist struck in Hayward today and wiped out scores of people and even your friends, all of a sudden prayer meetings full at the Wesleyan, at our church, especially when they say, you know, we have 150 terrorists more in the North Woods and it's an imminent strike. Most likely it's going to affect every family here. And oh, how we would come to God and say, God, please answer our prayer and, and deliver us from this because we want to live like, life like we've always lived it. We don't want to have to face this kind of situation. God, serve us. Help us out here. Or do we live in the conviction that we're here serving God, not Him serving us? Choose. We want Him glorified. We want Him sanctified. What, what becomes of me is up to Him. Few live with that conviction if we're, if we're totally honest. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8. <clears throat> There's a few convictions that must make up my identity in order to serve God acceptably. I believe if we're committed to serving God acceptably, number one, we have that feeling of, Lord, I want to serve you acceptably. I'm, I'm not looking of, God, please serve me. <clears throat> Satan came to Christ and said, If thou be the Son of God, command these stones be made bread. Jesus revealed his convictions when he identified and said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. I believe that's an identifying mark. The second identifying mark of someone who is desiring to serve God acceptably. They live with this conviction. God's word is the greatest essential to my existence. God's word is the greatest essential to my existence. Jesus quoted Deuteronomy chapter 8, starting at verse 1. All the commandments which I command thee this day shall ye observe to do, that ye may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord sware unto your fathers. And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these forty years in the wilderness to humble thee, to prove thee, to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep his commands or no. And he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know. So manna was technically named after what is it? Is it vitamin? Is it what? What is falling out here? What is it? That he might know, that he might make thee know that man doth not live by bread only, but by every word which proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. Turn to Job chapter 23. We're going to read that one together. So if each could turn there, we're going to read it together out loud. <clears throat> Manna means what is it? And I don't know how you would 
look at life if you're in the middle of a wilderness and here's a little bit of manna. It's not bread. We don't even know what it is. And we're told this is going to sustain you. How can we live on this in the culture that we're in? I mean, if we lived in New York City and had manna, hey, great, because we got other options too. But thank the Lord for manna. But how can we live in a desert culture and say, God, whatever you say, you know, you said this was going to sustain us, it'll sustain us. How can we do that? Because we live in a wilderness. But God said manna will nourish you. In reality, they didn't doubt the manna near as much as they doubted God's word that said, look, you don't just live by all your fruits and vegetables and vitamins and celery and spinach. There's something way more important than that. The most essential thing in your life is the word of God that abides forever. Let's stand and read Job 23, verses 10, 11, and 12. Let's read this together. Chapter 23, verse 10. But he knoweth the way that I take, and when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. My foot hath held his steps. All right, you may be seated. Thank you. Here was a man who wasn't saying, God, I, I want to serve you uh, to figure out how you can serve me. Here was a man who was saying, I don't understand where I'm at. Or the way that I'm on seems really confusing. But you know the way I take. And I don't understand how it's all going to come out, but I know if you're involved, I'm going to come out as pure gold. And this is the bottom line. And I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Well, you say this is an ideal. This is, this is something that we shoot for. No, this was reality in Job's life. To esteem God's words so highly is the result of someone who's serving God and not having the focus of God serve me. It's a very simple reality. And we, in our setting, are getting sloppy. Well, in our setting, though, in our culture that we live in, how, how can we really practice what it says here? I mean, isn't some of this cultural? Well, somehow we'll have to come to the conviction if this is the Word of God, then every word is very, very important. If it's just culture, actually, there's no sense in sticking around to, to read it even. Somehow we have to come with a conviction that God, it, it doesn't make any sense in the wilderness that we live in, but it's your Word. And your word is more important than me eating today. So i got to know it and I, I must esteem it as the most essential thing in my life. You know, I hear this probably every day at the store. Children want something 
mom and dad don't want something, don't want the same thing for that child. And a lot of times the word comes, why can't I? I've told you already. How many times do I have to tell you? And round and round they go. But we're doing that. It's not with mom and dad, it's with the God of heaven. How many times does he have to say the headship veiling is important? How many times does he have to say men with long hair, that, that's not acceptable? How many times would he have to say greeting with a holy kiss is something to be practiced? Well, <clears throat> how many times would he have to say honoring your father and your mother? Or how many times would he have to say love your wives? Honor your husband? Yeah, but in the wilderness I live in and the dad that I have Job had a lot of excuses. But he couldn't think of any. He said, I will esteem his words more than my necessary foods. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 119.89, if you want something to get your fire burning on the importance of the word of God, read Psalms 119. He says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. How can we live God's commands in a desert culture? And if God wanted me to continue doing something, couldn't he send me a reminder? And God says, I wrote it down for you. How else did you want that? We tried to be clear. But Paul's writings I don't agree with, right? That's some people's argument today. And the church asks me things that I don't like to do. Well, then the question comes back, whose hand are you going to eat from? Because the fact is, is I ate from a hand every day this week. I'm not talking about food. I'm talking about what I'm taking into my life and building in my spiritual life, I ate out of someone's hand every day. I can eat out of this hand every day. Or I can eat out of YouTube. Uh, they'll tell you whatever you want to eat. They'll tell you whatever you want to hear on YouTube today. I ate out of somebody's hand all week. Who are we going to eat out of? <clears throat> the Word of God is essential to my existence. John Piper, I, I believe, uh, Gerald years ago had said he believes that John Piper is one of the best expository writers of our day. I totally agree. If you can write, read something from John Piper, I believe you will be inspired. He writes this, Computers have had an incredible effect on us. One of the effects that they can have on a Christian is to make it feel like spiritual things are very unreal and unexciting. You can see a computer, you can handle a computer, a computer can give you immediate feedback and solutions. They hold a powerful fascination. 
And that's what many people go for. Greater than the Word of God is their desire to see what's up. And, and it's not, the problem isn't the computer. The problem is a commitment to say, God, I'm not here for you to see how you can serve me. I'm here to serve you acceptably. And when that is our conviction, it comes out in the reality of this word is incredibly important to me in a daily basis. <clears throat> I like what John Piper writes. If you were laid by kidney fa- laid low by kidney failure and congested heart failure, and were told by the doctors that you have only a few days or hours to live, would you want your family to sit by your bed and read to you from the latest systems development of HP or Apple? Would you like your family to sit beside your bedside and read to you a list of your assets? Would you become more fascinated by the Word of God than you are today? That's how important the Word of God um, is to us today. Not just for the day we die. We want to serve Him acceptably today. I believe when our conviction is, Lord, I want to serve you acceptably. My desire is not that you just serve me. I believe it is showed in our prayer life. And number two, that God's word is the greatest essential to my existence. The next temptation, if thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge concerning thee. And in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time they dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Satan is again questioning Jesus' identity. And I think this is important as well, a very, very important thing to grab a hold of. When we're living, when we're desiring to serve God acceptably, we'll have the third conviction. And that is we're willing to accept God's identity and purpose for my life. I'm willing to accept God's identity and purpose for my life. And I stop looking at them and saying, why can't I talk as good as Claire? Why can't I make people laugh like Claire? Why can't I explain things like Eric? Why can't I be skinny anymore? And why do I lose all my hair up here, way in the back of my head just about? And other people, it's like they got hair everywhere. Why? God has made every single person in here very unique. And you can focus on the uniqueness of someone else and laugh at them. But one day God's going to laugh at you. Or you can focus on their uniqueness and say, it's incredible how God has blended us together in our uniqueness. Because I know what young people can face and old people can face. Satan will throw all kinds of twisted ideas in our heads. I'm insignificant. I'm worthless. My wife or my husband make me feel worthless. 
my dad or my mom make me feel worthless. And I understand. Sometimes they point, people point out to us that maybe you're not as significant as what you hope to be. Sometimes maybe that's good to realize that. But Satan is trying to destroy us and many times we destroy ourselves by people not recognizing God has an identity and purpose for my life. A lot of quizzes come um, with questions. If you look in the Midwest Focus, they have a who am I quiz on a lot of them and you try and guess the Bible character. But I've played that quiz on myself a lot of times wondering who am I? Where do I fit? Turn to Psalms 139 if you're able to. See, this was the question for Jesus. If you're significant, if, if, if you are the Son of God, then do a test. Just do a test and see if God comes through for you. I would not hesitate much to say I'm sure there's many who are facing the same questions, if not last week, last year. Do something, and if God comes through for you, then, you know, God's really on your side. Actually, go back to Scripture. And Jesus is saying, we don't, we don't do things just to test God, to see if He's going to come through for us. We take Him at His word. Psalm 139.14 is some of the most precious verses. We're going to read 14 to 18. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret, curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in the book of all my members were written which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. So my bald head, right? My big feet, whatever it was. God knew all of that when you were being fashioned. Verse 17. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake... I am still with thee. I think we need to come to the conviction of saying, who cares what the devil's crew thinks about me today? I have an identity and a purpose God has called me to, to live out for His glory. I'm here to serve Him. It's not about Him serving me. It's not about the recognition the world could give to me. I don't know how many of you want to go swimming this week. I have a homework assignment. Go swimming this week. And as you pick up one handful of sand, throw it in the air and count how many pebbles are going in the air. And then go around the lake and throw every pebble of sand into the air and count them as you go. That's how many thoughts God had towards you today and yesterday, and the day before. While we look at uniqueness and think, what a curse. God has that purpose 
And he says, as many strands of sand and pebbles of sand as there are on the seashore, that's your thoughts are more in number than all of those put together. Live with that conviction. God has made you as you are. Precious and unique in your own way. And what's incredible, and I don't have time to go into all of it, but the sermon was originally geared towards that. You look at life, and life isn't fair. There can be 20 people raised in the same family, and they all turn out different. They all have different gifts. They all have their own uniqueness. They can live in the same church, eat the same food, live in the same home, live in the same room. But God has made them unique. Pride will misuse that uniqueness. Humility will beautify that uniqueness. A couple weeks ago, I there was a little girl in the store who was on a leash, led by a local Christian lady. And I thought it was peculiar. You don't see people on a leash very often. The little girl, as I understand it because of her incredible medical condition, was rejected by her family in Liberia, I believe it was. She stood there, a little, a little wisp of a girl, looked like if the wind would blow, it would knock her over. <clears throat> There's also people that come in this store. One of the guys was on the team on the company who invented the drone. We're talking about a gifted multi-many million dollar fella. Very intelligent. A strong, healthy looking fella. But he's no more valuable than the little wisp who is rejected by her mom and dad. Um, this is my question for us. Which one would you identify with more? And which one do you want people to perceive you to be? Satan says, you eat out of my hand. See that strong guy there? See the glory he has? See the money he has? Eat out of my hand and I'll give it all to you. I don't know what situation you're in, but I know this. The way of the cross leads home. It's in taking the lower, identifying with the misfits, identifying with the uniqueness. That little girl didn't have to prove anything. She was of incredible value. Put me in a group with a little girl. I want nothing to do with the movie stars of our day. Because God has made us an identity and a purpose for each of our lives. And we are special. His thoughts toward us is more than the sand of the sea all put together. How precious is His thought toward us. 
I don't want someone going away saying, but did God make a mistake? No, He didn't. He made you unique and uniquely beautiful. All of this comes back to taking God at His Word for us. He cares for us. Now Jesus faced these temptations. It was a temptation of convenience, a temptation of lust, popularity, And the temptation was obviously Jesus knew the, the right way that he was going to walk was leading him to a cross where he had to die and everything that he would crave from his flesh would have to be dismissed as he lived, as he hung in shame and reproach and a curse. And he never stood up and said, well, well let me tell you why to the people who walked by the cross that day. He simply faced the cross. Same for his followers who are focused on serving him and not on being served. The way of the cross leads home. How do I know if I'm living the way of the cross and if I'm following the example of serving God acceptably rather than asking God to serve me. I believe it's, it's going to show very clearly how we're diligent in prayer. We can make excuses all day long. We can excuse ourselves and excuse ourselves. And we can say we're busy and we can say well, we're so occupied and we can say we can't pray well. It has nothing to do with it. It's a discipline of saying, God, I'm not just going to call upon your name when there's trouble. And say, God, serve me. Please serve me. And save my lifestyle. I'm going to serve you acceptably today. By esteeming God's Word as a greater than my necessary food. And as accepting God's identity for my life and purpose. I believe when we're willing to live with these convictions, one day we'll hear the words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou in the joy of thy Lord. If you're able to, would you kneel for prayer?